It's not calling you Josh Frydenberg, it's calling you Dosh Frydenberg. Under the coalition, taxes for hard-working Australians will always be lower. Well, good day, listeners, and welcome to the two jacks. We call them the combo, but we're going to have to come up with a better name because we put our domestic... Australian politics and news and media alongside world events for this one-off podcast. Uh, and um, joining me, as usual, is Hong Kong Jack. G'day, mate. How are you? Good, mate. Now, tell me, there's a bit of news coming out of our old home state of Victoria. Well, as two very proud Victorians, uh, we ha- we would have t- paid particular attention to the Victorian state election uh, there was talk of late swings beforehand. There was talk of uh, uh, um, uh, minority government, and, and that's within the Labor Party, by the way, Jack. Yes. yes. Um, uh, minority government uh, for uh, uh, for Labor, they were going to lose maybe 10 seats, but it, it looks like the, the counting today is actually worse than it was on Saturday night for the Libs and quite a bit worse for the Greens. Um as it stands, with seven in doubt, we've got Labor on 52. Just to give you an idea, they were 55 in 2018 with the dance line. So that's minus one on that calculation. Libs is 16 minus one. Nats 11 plus three. Greens plus one. Others minus two. And that's a big, bit of a bit of a surprise for me. I thought there'd be a big crossbench coming up, but no. Uh, seven still in doubt, as I say. Um, but um, the the collects the Libs had, they didn't have many, but they had Bayswater and Bass, but they're now in play with Labor in front of both of them. Um, Two-party preferred. The swing against Labor was 3.5%. Uh, the Libs vote is down by almost 1%. Uh, and there's been small growth in the Nat and Green vote. Um, but overall, the two-party prefer, pre, uh, two prefers, I, I apologise, is 54-46. It was 58-42 in 2018. Um, After the 2018 loss, history would tell you that you would normally expect some kind of swing back to the losing party. That's what usually happens. No, absolutely. And, and, and indeed, the Libs did get big swings in some seats, but the seats they got them in were Cororoit, Greenvale, Broadmeadow, Sydenham, Laverton, Mill Park, St Albans, Thomastown, uh, Williamstown, Yan Yeen. These are seats they're never going to win. Never going to win. And, and uh, look, I, I do know that look, they, uh, the, the Victorian Labor Party pushed for a bit of renewal. There was uh, Frank Maguire got elbowed out of the way in pre pre-selection, Eddie's brother, uh, and he obviously had a strong personal following. I think the swing on there was about 20% in Broadmeadows. Yes. Yeah, um, that, was, that was the biggest swing of all, I think. Yeah, and that, that obviously indicates that there was a strong personal following for Frank. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but you know, and, and I think Labor's vote uh, pushed below 50% um, uh, first preference um, uh, for the first time probably in history in Broadmeadows. Um, but uh, we were talking about a green slide. In fact, the ABC did use that term, Jack, 
Uh, they've won Richmond, that's without doubt, should win Albert Park on voting that I've looked at this morning. Um, but uh, Northcote is now showing Labor in front. Um, Pasco Vale should be a Labor hold. Um, and, uh, and, and it would seem that uh, possibly the Greens will be plus two. Labor might end up 55, which is yeah. exactly where they stood. So I, I was I was just amused looking at the greens that the seats the greens are winning all the places that I've ever lived in in Melbourne are all green. <laughs> well, not Northcote, mate. Not the People's Republic, mate. Well, I never um, actually lived in. Well, only, only very briefly lived in. Well, Melbourne you missed for out. A few weeks. You missed out. It was a fine but, place. But, but yeah, Carlton, Fitzroy, Brunswick, Richmond. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, Brunswick <laughs> solid, rock solid, emerald green now. Um, uh, but uh, there was a bit of a move on in, in, in Preston and, and Pascoe Vale County continuing there, but it looks like Labor will hold, and it looks like Labor will uh, hold uh, Northcote as well. Albert Park seems to be the one that's uh, going to go green. Uh, so that would be a, a, a net pickup of two for the green. So hardly a green slide. Uh, they had a green uh, woman on um, on uh, on the ABC coverage on Saturday night was claiming all sorts of triumphs. But it seems to be uh, not not like that at all. The Libs actually, Jack, they might end up losing three or four. Could do. And it's only the Nats that have sort of covered them because they've picked up three in the bush. That's, uh, that's not that's not the Libs' biggest problem. The Libs' biggest problem <laughs> post this. I don't, I don't, where do we start, Jack? Well, no, the, the, the biggest biggest problem if you look at the just looking at the the electoral um, numbers for them, they're going to end up with half a dozen seats under 1% um, and five more under 2%. Mm. Um, uh, so uh, what constitutes a safe Liberal seat now is a 3% margin. <laughs> I shouldn't be laughing, Jack, although I feel I must. Um, uh, the, the, that's, the, that's, that's, a, that's a terribly worrying statistic. Oh. I, mean, I mean, parties have gone bad before. For 25 years, the Labor Party in Victoria was unelectable, but it still had its heartland seats that we're at, we're at no risk of are at no yeah. risk of losing. Um, mm. The Liberals are in a situation where um, they're they're unelectable basically, yes. but they haven't got heartland that. seats of you know, with margins of 10, 10 or fifteen percent. Brighton, Caulfield, Hawthorne, Kerry, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're, they're they're all on the margin. They're on the razor's edge now, yeah. uh, and 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 fighting a war on two fronts, which Labor has been doing quite well. We'll talk about that in a minute, Jack. But the 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 um, uh, the first, I think there is an element of the lockdown in this that uh, the, the, just because the swing varied so much from area to area, mm. um, that suggests to me that it was what was that great description of, of lockdown? It was the laptop class sitting at home while the working class bought them stuff, um, yeah. and I think I think that partly explains there is definitely the, a reflection the variety yeah. of the swing. So that lib, the Liberals were getting swings in some, oh, sorry, the Labor Party was getting swings to it against in some areas and huge swings against it in the more working class areas. Yes, and, and, and that's not surprising, I don't think. I mean, you know, the pandemic was always going to hit uh, people on, on, on lower socioeconomic state statuses than, than, than those above them. And, and that's a very good way of defining it, the, the laptop class versus the working class. But there are other things at play, Jack. Yep. Oh, absolutely. Um, so, so we did see a decline. I, I wrote a column on Friday suggesting that the the uh, the, the first preference votes um, 
would go below 70% in Victoria. As it stands, it looks to be about 72%, which is still very low. And, you know, and with, if we look at this over the last 30 years, it used to be 90. So 20% of votes are in play. Now, where Labor has lost those votes, they come back through Greens and right-wing party, uh, sorry, left-wing parties like uh, the Reason Party and the Cannabis uh, uh, Party and, 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 and uh, um, small minor uh, left-wing parties like that. So, and, and there's a real discipline to it. So there's about 85-15 uh, with the Greens vote um, coming back. But when the Libs vote, when the Libs vote is breaking down, we're seeing it, you know, traditionally go to p- parties like uh, FON and UAP and and now it's just sort of cooker parties and family first sort of uh, religious uh, 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 fundamentalist parties and things like that. It's not coming back. By preferences, it, 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 it just isn't isn't going back to them, and this is what we're seeing as we're getting preferences counted. We're seeing that the, the, the that the uh, that the result is much much worse for the Liberals than it was actually on Saturday night. Mm. So there's yeah. so so there's that. So that that's part of the problem, and that is a federal problem too for the, yeah. for the Liberal Party. And, and something else that we've talked about, you know, is this professional class, and we might look at the professional class going through Bayside Melbourne and Eastern Melbourne, and those professional classes, they tend to veer progressive with their views about social policy and what have you. Uh, and that's not necessarily meant that those votes that would that we might have thought in, the, in those socioeconomic areas would vote Liberal are now voting Labor, but they're not. They're not voting liberal. They might vote somewhere with some park their vote with the, with the Greens or or another party, but they're not voting liberal, and that's and that's an, again a reflection of what we saw in the uh, the federal election. Yeah, I think there are some lessons to be learnt from the for the federal liberal party in this, but there is a peculiar problem in Victoria, and we've been saying this all along, and that is that the Victorian branch of the liberal party is dysfunctional. Now. Um, I was a member of the Labor Party in the days when we were dysfunctional, um, and there is a way to fix that. Um, and, and what happened with the federal Labor Party, people like Gough Whitlam and Mick Young um, uh, organised a federal intervention. Um, um, they, the first thing they do was to get the crazies out of the party or to diminish their influence. People like George Crawford and Bill Hartley. Um, you know, when I, first, when I first got involved in it, George was the... George Crawford was the state president and Bill Hartley was the state secretary. So they pushed them to the fringe of the party and that's what the Liberal Party needs to do um, for itself in Victoria. And the then, federal they, then, interventions, for, then they've got to look for some good candidates. Oh, look, that goes without saying. I mean, uh, um, but... I just want to go back to this notion of federal intervention. It is much, much harder to do in the with, with the Victorian Liberal Party. It has state structures, yes, um, uh, and, and 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 those state structures really stand up uh, uh, almost uh, almost higher on the on the ladder uh, than than does the federal body. So it's going to be extremely difficult to change this. And and um, look, you know, when we talk about candidates, we had. Bryony Hutton, who was disendorsed in Hastings, and that's gone down to the wire, right? Counting continues there, but Paul Mercurio is ahead marginally uh, as counting continues there. Um, and, uh, and of course, they had to disendorse her halfway along the track. The, part of the problem is that the Liberal Party is doing their pre-selections literally weeks before in, in an environment where you have fixed dates for elections. It's bizarre. Hmm. 
Yep, but th- that's what they've got to do. Um, whether it's a federal intervention or some other way, they've got to restructure the Victorian branch and make it fit for purpose, and it's not at the moment. Can I just indicate one more thing that's a real problem for them right now, and that's the millennial vote. So if we define a millennial as someone who has reached adulthood sometime early in the 21st century, those people now, that's a broad demographic, sort of the 18 to 34-year-old you know, demographic, really. It's a, it's a big chunk of votes. And from what we're seeing in the federal election voting analysis there and then some exit polling and some less perhaps reliable data is that, that, that Libs are only picking up one in five of those votes and, and it doesn't seem to be changing. We might have accepted that to be the case in the 18 to 25 um, uh, voting uh, demographic, but as these people are getting older, they're not moving to the right and that's a big problem for the Liberal Party nationally. Yeah. So what, uh, what, what, is, what does Peter Dutton do, mate? Does he put his baseball cap on backwards and start talking to dudes and things like that? What's he do? What's that wonderful um, little meme that keeps appearing yeah, yeah. over Twitter? Hello, fellow kids. Hello, you know fellow that? kids. Hello, yeah, my yeah. fellow kids. Yeah. Yes, uh, is that what they do? I mean, it's going to be really hard to turn this around um, uh, for them. Uh, we await, of course, the... Uh, the result looks looks like it's going to be very close in New South Wales, but the same forces uh, in the March election there, but the same forces are, are at play. Um, you've got two independents. Except they haven't got a dysfunctional, the same dysfunctional uh, party structure in New South Wales. That been true. It's not great, but it's not. But it's nowhere near as bad <laughs> it's, as it's it's a little, little bit better uh, prepared. But, yeah. but, um, but, but, but they have got that sort of teal block coming up, coming up against them. We've already seen that the environment minister is under yeah. threat of losing his seat on polling, and you know it's all very early days. But the same sort of forces are at work here, Jack. That same millennial demographic, people coming in yeah. and voting in that eighteen to but, thirty-four block, and avoiding the Liberal Party. Uh, but, um, four out of five. Dominic, Dominic Perrottet is not Matthew Guy. Well, what, what, look, I have to say, what happens to Matthew Guy? He has resigned. He has uh, stood down now. He didn't on Saturday night. In fact, if you saw his speech and didn't look at his face, you'd think he'd had a pretty good night. Um, but um, uh, the, 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 they've got a lot of time servers there. They've was got he, people- was he, I, I didn't actually see the speech. Was he doing a Billy Mackey Sneddon? We didn't lose. We didn't, he did do a bit of a we didn't win. win. Well, look, let's. It was. It was rather than rather than we didn't win, but we didn't lose. Let's have a real good look at the positives here. And haven't the Nats done well? But that's not your party. Mate. And the Nats, the Nats did do well. They did do well. They 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 pinched one. Uh, they pinched Shepherd and off an Indy, uh, of a sitting member, and uh, and they picked up a couple. They did lose uh, Ribbon. It looks very much like they'll lose Ripon now. But their, uh, their vote was generally up. So yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't think this is the death of the conserv- of, of conservative parties in Victoria. It's the death of the current iteration of the Liberal Party. That They've got to do something about fixing that. Uh, look, they, they, you know, they, they really don't have much by way of new faces there. Um, I see the tennis players. His name Groff, I think. Um, uh, he's been elected. Although no, that's 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 actually gone back into play. Um, when, you, when you said tennis player, I was immediately thinking Josh Frydenberg. Uh, well, yeah, there's all sorts of talk that Josh might come back because the Teals didn't do all that well in his, you know, uh, in the in the state seats around Kuyong. Um And um, yeah, perhaps, and that, perhaps Josh's future is as um, uh, a state liberal rather than a federal one. 
Well, that sort of brings us to our next point check. But just to wrap this up, there are really big problems federally for the for the Libs. I'll be writing about this on Wednesday, where they uh, where they can go, where they're sort of going afoul and not really addressing their issues. No regeneration, no rejuvenation, uh, and uh, and not a lot of new faces in the party. Um, their uh, uptake or their their approvals with uh, young professional women is that they're getting about one in ten votes there. It's terrible. Hmm. So anyway, uh, before we wrap this up, there'll be a bronze statue for uh, for uh, Dan, mate. This was something that the uh, the Jeff Kennett legislated, that there'll be a statue for premiers who had served for 10,000 days or more. So there'll be a big bronze one. Geez, that'll get graffitied, won't it? Is, is, there are so many people getting statues these days, all the sports fellows outside the MCG and the SCG, um, and now for premiers as well. Is this like having a book written about you by Peter Fitzsimons? Everyone's <laughs> going to get one, you know? <laughs> well, maybe that's it. I think I would not like to be... Not, not, not like to be uh, cast in bronze, Jack, because everyone you see just does You look at them and go, that doesn't look anything like them. No, none of them are very impressive, I reckon. But that's <laughs> well, just, not, that might be me. I, did I, say I, this, I, I, think, I think I'd much rather have Peter Fitz do a biography. You know. uh, well, not sure. Well, you know, his team, his team. Um, so, yeah, there will be the bronze statue. And I think as of Easter, he will become the, um, the longest serving Labor Premier in, in Victorian political history, beating John Cain. John Kane Jr. Um, but uh, you mentioned uh, Josh uh, Frydenberg, J- Jack, and of course the Morrison report came out. Um, uh, uh, well, I think I think we called it here first. Um, he is going to be the most ex of ex prime ministers, and he was after a few weeks. You know, <laughs> it's not it's not looking like he'll make his way back anytime soon. No. So uh, Nikki Sava wrote about this, Jack, which included the first words from Josh Frydenberg at some time, and Josh was predictably unhappy about uh, learning that he was uh, a joint treasurer with the uh, prime minister. No, he wasn't happy at all. Um, he wasn't happy. Uh, and, and he suggested that Matthias Cormann would have been even more unhappy if he'd known. He would have gone ballistic. He would uh, have Josh. gone ballistic, yes. yes. So there is now talk of a um, censure motion in the parliament. What does that mean, Jack? Well, not much, really. Um, uh, you get censured. What's that? What's that mean? You got to go and sit in the corner for four yeah, weeks. Yeah. Well, it means no one wants to talk to you. Yeah. yeah. You gotta, <laughs> but no one you know, wants to talk to him now. Yeah. So, uh, so he's already sitting on his own in the playground at little lunch. You know. I mean, it's not going to make much difference. Is it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He is indeed. Yeah. Um, I, li- I like the uh, Nikki Saber also dredged out an old comment comment from my former local member, a lovely fella, by the name of Jerry Hand. Um, who was the member for Melbourne back in the days when it was Labor Heartland? Black Hand, wasn't he? Black Jet, Black Jerry, Black Jerry, Black Jerry. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, a, a little bike from Warrnambool originally. Um, uh, I think he came by the meat workers, perhaps. Yeah, not sure. Anyway, um, uh, he said that uh, he was fond of saying that all prime ministers go mad after a while, even in supposedly normal times, and these are extraordinary times. Yeah. I think that's true. There's always a, a tinge of madness about our Prime Ministers. Well, it does raise the issue, though, that had these f- uh, five ministers, Karen Andrews, Stuart Robert, we don't know about Stuart perhaps, Alex Hawke was another one, uh, Matthias Corman and Josh Frydenberg, if, had they have known, would there almost certainly been a spill? Absolutely. 
And it does create at least a what-if sort of hypothetical situation. How would Josh have gone uh, against uh, against Elbow in May? Uh, would have been much more competitive. A good deal of the Liberals' bad result, um, I feel, in the federal election was down to the fact that people had well and truly had enough of Scott Morrison. Um, uh, and Josh Frydenberg's a much, much more appealing person. I think there would but have been... But he lost his seat. <laughs> yeah, uh, but, but, but I think there, I think there would have been... As a, but as a, that was partly the Scott Morrison factor rather than the Josh Frydenberg factor, in my view. Um, the I'm pretty sure there would have been a spill because this would have been seen as an extraordinary breach of trust amongst mm. the Cabinet group. Oh, yeah. Extraordinary. That's it. I mean, it's a betrayal of his colleagues, of his most senior yep. colleagues, isn't it? That's 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 where it stands. I mean, talk about sitting uh, sitting on the seat in the, in the playground uh, on his own. Uh, I, I get the f- feeling now that, uh, that Scott would have the uh, taxpayer provided phone, of course, but uh, I don't think it'll ring all that much. He'd be more likely to find a Labor member come and sit next to him at the playground than a Liberal one, I think, at the moment. Just check, just check my phone, see if the dial tone's on. Yeah. Just check it. Just check it. Any messages? Yeah. No? Yeah. Yeah. Look, uh, yeah, it provides that sort of uh, what about hypothetical uh, in 2019. Uh, I don't know. I think Josh probably would have still got rolled anyway. I think yeah, probably you know, would have. And, 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 and had they moved on, it would have looked like chaos and... And uh, and uh, without people having an awareness of what Morrison had pulled um, by the time they got to vote, it would have just looked like another Liberal um, leadership spill and more chaos and so forth. I, I think their time yeah, is well But it's the most over. bizarre behaviour from a federal politician since the days of Rex Connor. Um, Goes, it's it, it it it. I reckon he's got. I reckon he's got old Rex. Uh, Rex covered. Uh, covered I, mean, he, I reckon he might have him covered. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon he's got him covered there. All right, Elbow's had a win. Another win. Gee, he's going all right, isn't he? Uh, he's had a win with his IR bill, uh, and uh, he got the uh, support through negotiation of uh, um, the uh, ACT crossbench senator David Pocock, who um, seems to be a. I just want to talk talk about him firstly, Jack. He seems to be a, a man who takes his job very seriously, which we like, um, and uh, and is a man that uh, the Labor Party can deal with. Well, he's turned from, a, turned from being a hard-working back rower for the Wallabies to a hard-working politician straight away. Yeah. Look, it's, you just never know how people are going to go in politics until you give them the job, um, but he's certainly hit the ground running. He seems sensible. He speaks well on the television, um, uh, and he's... He looks like and sounds like um, he's trying to be a senator for all ACT people. That's right, and that's his job. That's mm. his job. They're going to represent their states or their territories, and he's doing uh, he's doing that job. Now, the negotiations involved a number of uh, elements. Um, uh, I believe now that there will be a committee established to review social welfare every year to determine whether it needs to rise. I think Pocock was pushing hard for a rise in um, the job seeker um, payment. I think that's the current name for it, the rock and roll, um, and, and, as well as uh, a raft of other things like the DSP, uh, disability pension, uh, those sorts of things too. Now, he didn't get it. 
Uh, and what Labor's come back with him is a sort of yes minister uh, classic where we'll have a committee and we'll uh, review what needs to be done and uh, that committee will make uh, recommendations to the government. Um, so that was the first thing they negotiated over and also um, just how many businesses uh, will be affected by by this, um, by the new IR laws, which I, I don't think many people know much about at this stage. There was a bit of a scare campaign. I was listening to the Senate on Friday that sat and, and the Libs sought to uh, refer uh, the bill to a committee, which essentially would have uh, sent it off uh, until uh, early next year, and that would have allowed them to run a bit of a scare campaign about this, unions out of control and what have you, stuff that uh, meat and drink for the Liberal Party. Um, um, but no, it's gone. It, it will go through this week uh, with the support of POCO. Uh, I just want to read uh, Ewan Hannon, who's a fantastic industrial affairs journalist at the Oz. Uh, he said this, Jack, uh, News flash: multi-employer bargaining is not industry-wide bargaining. Even if so desired, unions representing less than one in 10 private sector workers do not have the reach to conduct industry-wide strikes. Indeed, as Witzer showed through uh, its threatened indefinite lockout of Tugboat Crew, employers are the ones uh, willing to use Labor's Fair Work Act to cause major economic harm and shut down industries, not organised labour. Imagine reading that in the pages of the Australian, Jack. Well, the Australian, one of the reasons why it's the only only newspaper I pay a sub for um, is that it does have a variety of views, much more so than the nine uh, newspapers. The old, I still think of them as Fairfax. Um, one thing I think I would add to what um, you and Hannon um, says is that one of the aims of this legislation is to bring relevance back to the union movement so that they will have more than 10% coverage, that there will be some incentive for people to join the union movement, which hasn't been, uh, which yeah. has been absent for 25 years. Yeah, that's right. I think that's something that, that will change. I don't think we're looking at, uh, I don't think we're looking at massive appeals in our industrial relations landscape. There are concerns uh, uh, about taking things away from central wage fixing, um, but uh, Overall, um, the, uh, the the alarmists have lost, and uh, elbows had a win. Well, like like a lot of these things, you can't always tell exactly how they're going to work until they're put in place, because part of it will be determined right. by how the Fair Work Commission treats it when it gets in front of it. So you always got to be a little bit cautious about it. Just speaking of you and Hannah. Do you know whether the nine newspapers still have a de- dedicated industrial relations? Well, I've never seen if if they if they have it's a little bit like the arts editor at the Daily Telegraph, Jack. That oh, wouldn't, wouldn't that be a job? <laughs> <laughs> you can sign me up for that oh, one tomorrow. I'd, I'd send the resume <laughs> in for that. Uh, just uh, give me a call. I'm at lunch. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, it, it, uh, it's not a lot going on there. So Ewan does a wonderful job. He is a fantastic journalist and. Uh, and uh, as you say, look, he just he just uh, he calls it as he sees it. I mean, he's not a reporter that takes you know, any particular ideological view into his reporting. If he's writing an opinion piece, as he was today, um, that might be a little bit different. But um, uh, yeah, it looks like Labor's going to end uh, end its year on on a high note. Um, uh, all those things that it said it was going to do, the anti-corruption body, um, the uh, changes. Uh, to the industrial relations um, um, environment, uh, and I think that the last 
the last uh, cab off the rank is uh, uh, to uh, uh, um, basically allow the territories to consider their positions on um, uh, um, what do we call it, Jack? Um, um, uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to speak euphemistically here, but but uh, death by choice, shall we yeah. say? Assisted suicide. I assisted. Think the current, current no, 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 it's not not assisted. I think I think that's uh, that's that's oh, the okay. wrong term. Um, but um, um, but uh, yeah, no, that's that, that's the last cab off the rank. Yeah, the Senate yeah. language is important. You know, there was a time when something was called abortion. Now it's reproductive uh, health care. You know, it is. It is. It yeah. is. It's a termination. Now, so, but it is. It is finishing a year off well for Labor. Um, the craft beers are going to taste nice for uh, for Elbow, um, and he's going to be able to settle down there, have Christmas at Kirribilli um, mm. uh, with the family, and pop off to the SCG for the cricket, um, and he'll probably yeah. go on the ABC. And let's hope he doesn't make a fool of himself like Kevin Rudd did, pretending he was there at cricket he wasn't at. You know? Oh, he didn't. He laughed. I actually watched uh, um, uh, Kevin Rudd give a speech, um, and uh, and that was at the opening of the Trumper stand at the SCG. Uh, we gathered uh, on the ground to hear various uh, noteworthy people speak, including Nathan Rees, who made a superb speech, and I actually spoke to his speechwriter after and congratulated him for it because he actually acknowledged Trumper in the speech and the, and the clamour around the great man when, whenever, you know, when Sydney would just basically, uh, people would just leave their work because uh, the, the great Victor was batting at Redfern. Uh, and tonking them all over the place, um, uh, and uh, and and uh, Nathan Rees made mention of that, and then Kevin got up and he started talking about Kevin, Kevin uh, uh, Doug Walters, Kevin Douglas Walters, Doug Walters, uh, and there was a, there was a bar named after Doug uh, in the stand, but um, and uh, and he was a great cricketer, of course, but Ed, Victor Trumper didn't get a mention, which is very very odd. Uh, and then he sort of talked about how he how he fell in love with cricket and so forth, and it was really just an awful, awful speech, you know. Well, I can remember when he, first, when he was first prime minister, and he was doing the recollection thing. I can remember being at the Gabba when such and such happened, and of course, it never did. <laughs> yeah, well, there was a bit of that in this speech too, and I did quickly glaze over at uh, Nathan Rees, the very short-lived premier of. Uh, He's a good man, Wales. Nathan Rees. Yeah, look, he, he, he certainly uh, he certainly outshone Kevin. Now, we're going to go around the world now, Jack uh, and China. Um, uh, this, this is unheard of, These uh, the protests at the moment. There was a, a fire in uh, in Shanghai, and, and I believe up to, well, there's a fatality. Uh, the fire was in Urumqi, out, way out west. Oh, okay. Ten, ten people died, and, ten, and, and the protesters a... are alleging that the reason that they died it's in a residential building, was that the firefighters were unable to get access to the building um, because of lockdown restrictions. The local officials had denied that, said that's just plain not true. This is China. It's always a bit hard to know. It's not a terribly transparent country. Um, But there have been um, reasonably sizey protests in um, in Shanghai, Beijing, Nanjing, sort of all over the place, really. Um, uh, and the protests are really about the, the, the zero COVID severe lockdown. And calling for the CCP to stand down. Uh, and for Xi Jinping to stand down. And, and, and the president to stand down, yes. Um, um, one, of the, one of the journalists says it's the most important it's the biggest protest since 1989. Um, I've got to say... And that's Tiananmen. That's Tiananmen yeah, Square, yeah. Uh, I've got to say, I don't think that the 
um, the leaders of the Communist Party will be in the Forbidden City um, putting desks up against the door um, uh, to fend off the, the, the mob. Um, uh, uh, the, the, the protests were, um, while vigorous, relatively small in number, and it's a very big country, so... Yes, indeed. But it must give them some cause. And I'm talking about the CCP and the president. It must give them some um, uh, pause uh, about their COVID policies because they're the only ones in the world who are continuing this lockdown. There Um, are some logical reasons why they are. Um, Like Hong Kong, they have a problem with low vaccination rates amongst the elderly. Um, They have... um, they have limited faith in their own healthcare system, in particular the numbers of ICU beds are really, really quite low. You know, um, in some parts of the country, six per 100,000 people, for instance. Um, uh, so they're okay. concerned about that. And they've also they made a choice not to, um, to use the mRNA vaccines, but to use their own Sinovac vaccine. And, and it seems, at least at this stage, that that doesn't work as well. So, quite as effective. Yeah, we've yeah. known that for a little while, and that would be a major sort of, shall we say, sort of um, um, slap in the face for um, Chinese yeah. technology and all that sort of stuff. There, there, there was talk on social media this morning that that the um, uh, that the Chinese government or the or the Chinese telcos were um, censoring the coverage of the FIFA World Cup so people wouldn't see the huge crowds of maskless people in the stands so that they were cutting to uh, close-ups of the players and the coaching staff rather than sweeping the camera, uh, taking the feet or sweeping the camera across. I don't know whether that's true or not. You know, no idea. But um, there's always a million people who will tell you uh, on social media that this is the... Um, this is going to cause the imminent collapse of the of the Chinese. Yeah, well, yeah, that's a little. And, yeah, and yeah, just, I'm going to say that's a little premature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I've been I've been hearing that um, you know almost weekly since I've been up in up in the region for just what 14, 15 years. I was always going to say, you know, that not too many viruses can survive in Qatar either, Jack. You know, 52 degrees, blazing, <laughs> blazing heat. Yeah. Um, so there's also there's, there's also that. Uh, but uh, just uh, next door in the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, which is not really democratic at all, oddly, um, Kim Jong-un has trotted out his daughter. Is a, is a, you know, she looks like a, a, a little Kim, albeit a teenage girl, uh, trotted her out in an ICBM launch, Jack. The, the yeah, I saw that. The photo showed the girl believed to be Kim's second child. He has a son who's older, but just hasn't been presented to the public yet. Uh, it might be on the burgers. Might have uh, might, might be a little bit too chubby. Uh, and she was dressed in a black coat with a fur collar, linking arms with her father. Uh, and the reason they're doing this, according to Yang Mu Jin, as a professor at the uh, University of North Korean Studies in South Korea, said the daughter's presence was meant to portray the I, the ICBM as the protector of future generations. It looks like that, he will... That's continue. a bit of a stretch, I reckon, you know. <laughs> it is a bit of a stretch, but what they have been able to do, this is the great, this is the great trick for uh, any nation that wants to become a nuclear nation without, with, with, by, by having to start essentially from scratch, without any support uh, in terms of technology, is the ability to miniaturise and load onto an ICBM... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, a, uh, a, uh, <coughs> a a nuclear warhead without disturbing uh, the aerodynamics of uh, the ICBM. 
and apparently uh, that has now been done, and this is why they've been firing missiles left, right and centre, including over the bows of Japan on a number of uh, number of occasions. Um, what are we going to do about this bloke, mate? Do we just ignore him? Mm, it's hard to know. They've tried almost everything and none of it's quite worked, really. No, nothing's ever worked. I thought W, going back many years, had sort of sat down and said, all right, we'll give you fuel, we'll give you food. Can you st- can you stop misbehaving, please? And they said, oh, yeah, 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 yeah we'll, we'll do all that. And then uh, as soon as W was gone, they were back at it again. Well, I think Bill Clinton did much the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Mm. They're, they're just a, a pariah state. Yeah, yeah, only people who can bring them into line, really, are the Chinese. And, That's right. Know. And, and, and there are exports and imports and so forth. I, I did know that they closed down, closed that border during the pandemic, and we we're expecting some very, very horrible scenes to come through there um, because there were no vaccines. Mm. Um, I've got a couple of pals here from Hong Kong who've uh, made trips multiple, been over a couple of times to to um, uh, Pyongyang. Um, I think it's a very odd place. It's a very strange place. I think Michael Palin's uh, um, a doco there. That was uh, when uh, Jong Un's old man was uh, was uh, running the show. Uh, uh, was a very, very was a real good insight into it. They, they're just taken around to these vast buildings that just look so impressive, but um, uh, they wouldn't let him in. <laughs> There's not much inside them. Not much going on inside. Well, I remember the hospital one where they. You wouldn't want to get sick out the front anyway. No. There's nothing much would happen. All right, we've we've talked a lot about Sri Lanka as as a country in deep deep economic trouble. And uh, Jack, you've got an update on that. We haven't really mentioned them, but um, um, and we've just sort of let let them be. But uh, the misery continues. Yeah, I think we I think the last last time we talked about them, the IMF uh, had agreed in principle to a loan that would be big enough, you know, two point nine billion dollar yeah. bailout. Um, well, they're, they're working, the Sri Lankans are working against time to get um, uh, background deals with China, Japan and India um, to, to, um, to ensure that deal goes through. And that means, of course, all the usual things of satisfying those countries that they're serious about addressing their problems. So that, it all looks like it's going OK. It's got, got some hurdles to get over yet, but it all looks like it's going OK. It's sort of good news. But they really need this because I think the last figures I saw from the World Food Program was that um, uh, six million people in Sri Lanka are what they call food insecure. That is, they need assistance for daily living. Right. Yeah. And this is the sort of uh, this is the sort of thing that we expected. Um, it was. Um, heightened, this economic crisis was heightened by the activities or the policies of the previous government, uh, which drove their food production in, uh, away from um, uh, uh, chemical fertilisers and, uh, and uh, into a new organic future, which completely failed within the space of six, well, in the space of about nine months, they'd, they'd turned it over, but by then the damage had been done. Mm. They'd lost their major export uh, dollars from, uh, from a sale of tea, and, uh, and, and, and in crops like rice, they were unable to provide their own needs. Yeah, what they what they really need is to get get this loan, get things up and going. Uh, hope that their other great dollar earner, which is the tourism ministry, gets up and going. It's a lovely place. Oh, I've not not been, but um, uh, plenty of friends ha- have, and some people have bought over there, bought property over there. Um, it's a terrific place to visit, and they need to get that tourism ministry up and going. Yes, indeed, uh, they do indeed, um, uh, and. Uh 
you and I have often talked about uh, popping over there to watch a bit of cricket, which would be a lovely yeah. tour, a lovely tour to go to. Yeah, yeah, down at Gaul, I think, would be the spot. Oh, yeah, that would be a very nice spot. Looks lovely there. The old fort uh, on mm. the coastline. Over in the States, Jack, uh, is the state of emergency over? What state of this emergency the, have they got? This, this is the COVID state of emergency, which was ah. legislation passed um, in the middle of the COVID um, uh, outbreak. Um, and there, the, the Senate has been attempting to end the state of emergency for all year, pretty much. Um, they voted 48-47 to end it in March and 62-36 just a, a week or so ago. Um, yeah, that um, tells us a fair bit about American politics, doesn't it? That, you know, and we talked about this last week, but it just, it's just worth reminding people that um, while you might have 50-50s and what have you, and, of course, the Georgia runoff is occurring well, next week yeah. or the week after, um, <laughs> there's no... Um, uh, requirement on either party to vote along party lines, so you it, can it happens, get these. It happens more so in the House, but in the Senate, there's almost sixty-two no thirty-six. That's a big result. That's a yeah, big they, result. Unfortunately, for for people who want to end the emergency, they need sixty-seven to override the presidential veto, and they're not quite there yet. Yeah, not far away. All right. Um, yeah, how do you see the Georgia runoff going, Jack? Have you had much of a look at that? Oh, it's, it's a bit hard to call that one. Um, it's going to be uh, close. But, but, <laughs> I know that's not saying much, but um, but yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think it'll be, look. I, I suspect the Dem will probably Warnock will probably get up, but gee, it's going to be close. And it looks like the House is going to end up as a mirror image of the current House. Uh, yes, indeed. Yeah, look, you know, maybe we'll be fifty-one forty-nine, um, but. Um, uh, we'll have to see how that goes. And in the House, Jack, what are the numbers looking like there now? We, we've covered yeah, well, the midterms terms extensively. Yeah, but my guess now is two, around about 221, 213, which is a mirror image of, of the current House, except it will mm. be a, a Republican majority rather than a Dem one. So the same slim majority again. And uh, and, and, and so, yeah, look, I'm, I'm very, very proud of myself there, Jack. I said seven. I said mm. seven. I think seven before the midterms. So well, that's, uh, that's the idea. That's, that's, that when you, that's when, champagne punditry. Yeah, when you when you're going to be a pundit, you got to remember the remember the ones you got right and oh, bury yeah. the ones you got wrong. Well, yeah, well, Friday's column. I don't want to talk about it too much, but I thought there were going to be like fifteen on the crossbench, and it looks like there'll be about six. Hmm. Um, so I didn't get the numbers quite right there, but absolutely spot on in the House of Representatives in the United States. We are going to do a bit of a special on political sledging, Jack. Um, mm. We've got to do some research because this is a very important topic. A um, bit of wit and wisdom from our politicians. We haven't seen a lot of it of late. Um, but I, I was reminded with the election uh, with, with the election in uh, Victoria just finished, um, I was reminded of Dan Andrews on the day after uh, he'd won the Dan slide in 2018. He said of Michael Kroger, he said this on the ABC. Actually, said it on um, <coughs> uh, on the uh, the Sunday show. There, he said uh, of Michael Kroger, swanning around suburbs that you've never been to in your Burberry trench coat, lecturing people about the cost of living. People pick fakes, and they pick nasty fakes from a long way off. I hope that he's the Liberal Party president for life. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> well, Michael was on the, the Sky News coverage and seemed not to have learned a whole lot. Uh, 
Uh, look, some of the things that uh, Craig actually did say on the Sky News coverage uh, were, were, were quite sensible, and that was, you know, some of these old older members who've done nothing in the Liberal Party, particularly in the upper house, David Davis as treasurer, just go, mate. Um, uh, and, uh, and one or two others, including the sitting member for Caulfield, who probably will be re-elected, done absolutely nothing in their careers. Uh, done absolutely nothing in their careers and uh, think, oh, well, I'll just have another four more years of this. And it's just no way to run the party. They need... When we talk about re- rejuvenation, they need to basically um, uh, have some have some. Uh, you know, I guess it's a, it's a bit of a roll of the dice, but they need to have probably about six or six or eight by elections. They do look, uh, and this this was the exact same problem we faced in the Labor Party in Victoria um, uh, in the pre John Cain Junior years. We had a lot of people who who were exactly as you describe. Um, uh, been there for too long, but happy to pick up four more years. And they had to be um, uh, kind of crowbarred out and replaced with people who are actually interested in winning government. Well, there's that too. And I think Labor did this. We talked about Frank Maguire, and clearly he was a very, um, very popular local member. But one of the reasons he was shelved, and, and look, I won't go into it too much because I don't know uh, just exactly what the fact, uh, factional shenanigans were about him getting the getting the getting the flick. Um, but uh, his, uh, but Andrew's senior ministry, a lot of blokes who were just, including his deputy, uh, and including uh, Mark Bakula, who was sort of minister for not quite everything uh, for a while, but the important things racing and sport, um, uh, they were sort of exhausted and they happily trotted off. Now, that might mean that there's a bit of a vacuum in terms of uh, uh, public administration and the knowledge of how ministries work, um, but it also means you've got new faces and uh, you have rejuvenated and, and the Liberal Party just haven't done that. Yeah. yeah I, I always thought Martin Bakula had picked himself the best jobs. I had lunch um, uh couple of years ago with a, with a South Australian minister who was visiting Hong Kong um, and he was minister for tourism, uh, racing and sport. And I thought that's about it. That's, that's the trifecta. trifecta isn't that it? is yeah. the trifecta. That is the trifecta. <laughs> that's where you want to be. Um, you'll, never, you'll, ne- <laughs> you'll never put your hand in your pocket. Um, you'll never have to put your hand in your pocket and the lunch wherever you go is going to be superb. Yeah, he's a lovely fellow. Very funny. Uh, <laughs> Well, Martin Pakula was, was was pretty good too. Uh, I had a fair bit to do with him uh, when we were uh, uh, lobbying uh, lobbying the government on behalf of Dennis Ryan. I had a fair bit to do. Oh, that's uh, right. Yes, he's a good Carlton man. Um, so we had that at least to uh, to talk about, and we had a bit of a yum char one day, which so, is so, a very so Labor you- Party thing to do. So he's 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 a used to he's used to disappointment then if he's a Carlton man, is he? <laughs> I think he yeah, uh, like I, I think he thinks that the Blues are well on the way. I see Park David Park and was uh, down at training, mate. I think he wants to be a bit of a part of it too. It's good that they've got the old heads there, uh, and that takes us into sport. We're going to have to have a long hard talk about uh, the World Cup and FIFA, Jack, just to kick us off, of course. Uh, there were riots in Belgium when the Belgians got knocked yes, off. Yeah, yeah. The Moroccans beat Belgium, Belgium, the Belgians yesterday or overnight, um, and um, the Moroccan-born and Moroccan ethnic um, Belgians um, decided to burn a few cars in the centre of the city in celebration. <laughs> well, it is um, it, it is one way to reduce emissions, Jack. Probably yeah, the wrong is. way. 
Yeah, um, but but yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and, and it was said to be a disgraceful. So that's the cause of it, is it? It wasn't just Belgians a bit angry that they'd lost. No, it, it's from from the footage I've seen, it appears to be Moroccan-born Belgians who are doing this. So. We were talking a bit about this. Uh, we did an overflow episode for our for our wonderful patrons at the Conditional Release Program, and. Um, and, and Roy Keane, have you heard uh, uh, Roy Keane's speeches on whether, well, he's obviously very, very um, um, dogmatic that uh, uh, that uh, that the Qatar should never. Roy won. Roy only has one setting, and that's dogmatic. Yeah, he's a hard man, isn't he? He's yeah, a he's hard, still a hard man, unforgiving yeah. man. Yeah. There's a there's a wonderful clip of him with one of his opponents, and I'm not quite sure who it was for. He was playing for Man United, of course, Roy Keane. But one of his opponents, the captain, was waiting for him to shake hands as they went out in the pitch, and Royce just walked straight past him. No time for that. <laughs> Going to go play a game. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's he's no diplomat. He sits up there with the big beard, looks like a, a Eastern Orthodox patriarch, and, uh, <laughs> does and, a bit. and and pontificates like one as well. But he's uh, he's, he's just eminently listenable, um, and he has made it very very clear that Qatar shouldn't have got these games, and that is absolutely clear. And and we don't really need to go over the uh, what was it the twenty ten announcement or twenty twelve announcements uh, where Russia won the games under very dubious circumstances. And Qatar probably even more so. Uh, the, the great uh, news, of course, was that Australia spent about fifty million on and got forty-five point six. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we talked about this in the conditional release paper. All they should have done with that forty, if they're going to spend forty-five million dollars, you grab eight. De- no, no, eight won't be enough. That would be too many. You'd have to grab four delegates and go right. Oh, there's 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 ten million each, and you'll get four votes. As it stood, we got one. Yeah, yeah, they, um, they they could have given you and I about 40, 42 of it. Yeah, I reckon we've got to organise one vote. You know, uh, we no. could have got one vote. We could have yeah. got one vote, which ultimately they did. The Americans got eight, which was clearly the best bid. It was just you know where mm. soccer should have been played. Great stadiums, great facilities, all of this stuff. But of course, the Secretary General of the North American um, uh, FIFA affiliate, which is known as uh, by the acronymic uh, CONCACAB, um, uh, he, he uh, Jack Bazer, he, he didn't even vote for the Americans. He's mm. living in New York and did not vote for the Americans. This and is the, the, what's it called? CONCAF, isn't it? Um, CONCACAB, yeah, yeah. CONCACAF. Yeah. CONCACAF, yes. Mm. And, of course, the president, who was uh, a Trinidadian, uh, he voted for Qatar as well, uh, and there's no I think, doubt. I, I, mean, think, I, I think he's now having a holiday. Is he the Trinidadian president? No, no, he's not. He's not. And none of them ever did. Uh, he he can't. He's not just not allowed to set foot in the United States again oh, okay. um, because there are warrants out for his arrest. I think there were 14 arrests made, and, uh, and, uh, and, um, uh, and I think ten of those were what we call the XCOM, which is almost almost right, uh, which is the executive committee of FIFA, which decides where where uh, bids will go, uh, and, uh, and and who will host uh, World Cups. And uh, yes, yeah, so the Qataris won twenty two million. There's uh, there's credible uh, credible allegations of a four point five million dollar bribe paid to three. Uh, African XCOM members, uh, all denied, of course, particularly by the Qataris. Um, but there, there is a, there is a record of a meeting with these three uh, FIFA delegates, and uh, 
and they were offered, well, one of them was offered a million and he looked at them and said, no, no, no that won't be enough. And so they, they, they jacked it up to 1.5, but all for the development of the game, Jack. So they've got 1.5 million, all for the development of the game. The trouble with that is we don't know where it went. No, we don't. Um, now, that's not Jack farting, by the way, although it does sound a little bit like one of his farts. That is a bit of construction noise. It is. We're hoping that that's not going to get much louder. But, um, yes, Jack lives in uh, basically... Um, uh, in the building site. Yeah, yeah, it's just a building site. He's just, he's just sort of hanging off some scaffolding as we speak. Um, but uh, we, we'll keep going. Um, now, Budweiser was supposed to be a major sponsor, Jack. To, yeah, and to, they had the porridge rights as well for the yeah. year at and the pay, tent. What, uh, do, what uh, do they pay for that? Millions? Oh, 50, 50 million euros. Wow. Um, and, 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 can't. Uh, and the week before... Um, uh, the event started, the Qatari said that, no, there was going to be no beer sales at the stadiums. So, I've said it before and I've said it, I'll say it again. They just simply don't understand sport. Yeah. Um, so the, the, the Budweiser have announced two things. Firstly, they're going to donate all of that beer to the winning team. Um, uh, and secondly, they're going to sue FIFA to get their money back. Yeah, um, they'll get I that. was just wondering... What do you do with 50 million euros worth of soapy water? I don't know. Soapy water. Budweiser is an awful, awful beer. It's occasionally sold here. You can, if you wander around Dan Murphy's, you might be able to pick up a pick up a carton for 30 bucks or something, oh, but it's, yeah, it's hardly no, worth, that's hardly that, worth drinking. Well, in, in the hipster areas of Sydney, they'll, they'll, they'll pay 15, uh, uh, 15 bucks for a Pabst Blue Ribbon, um, a PBR. Which you can is. buy in a gas station in the United States <laughs> for less than a carton of milk, you know? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what that is. I do, want to, do know what a Budweiser is. I've had a couple and they're not much fun. So uh, whoever wins, and we'll get to that in a little while, we'll get to who we think is going to win, is going to be basically having to drink a lot of very bad beer for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but of course, when we go, you know, all jokes aside, the Qataris uh, have built, I think it's, it's seven or eight stadiums uh, out of the blue. They, when they won the bid, they didn't have any. They just, no, there, were, there, were no, there were no stadiums at all in Doha or in uh, Qatar generally. So they've had to build them from scratch. Uh, have, the, you, have you been watching the World Cup? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah well, I'm going I'm to tell you something that you won't be able to unsee. Um, a lovely journalist for The Guardian in the UK by the name of Marina Hyde. Um, one of, very, very uh, funny uh, columnist. Very funny. And, columnist. and a funny columnist at The Guardian, that takes some doing, I can tell you, because they're normally earnest, um, to, as, uh, normally as earnest as all get out. Um, she pointed out that the, the big stadium, if you look at it from above, bears a striking resemblance to a vagina. Oh, Dear and, idea. And I'll tell you what, once you've heard that and once they once they show you the overhead shot, you'll go, I can't unsa- I can't unsee <laughs> that ever again now because it does. There we go. There we go. <laughs> she, she said that uh, she could imagine that the, the committee of men sitting around designing the stadium in Qatari, none of whom would ever want to confess they've seen one, um, uh, <laughs> wouldn't have been game to say, hey, just hang on, guys, look, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Look, well, well they, they probably wouldn't be. <laughs> it's not their strong suit, Jack. No, no. Uh, the female, uh, female anatomy is just not going to be their strong suit. Look, 
uh, in all seriousness, uh, uh, the Guardian did report, uh, a Guardian investigation reported uh, the deaths of 6,500 foreign workers uh, over a period of time. Not all would have been working on uh, World Cup infrastructure, but many of them would have been. Um, uh, They're pretty much indentured labourers there. I they are. They've just lifted, the Qataris have just lifted this um uh, this practice where you, uh, where a foreign worker could not leave without the permission of their of their employer, could not leave yeah. the country. Now they they claim that you know part of their sweeping reforms in industrial relations uh, that they've removed that now, but apparently you know it, practically it still exists. Um, you've got people working in extraordinary conditions. The six and a half thousand figure is almost certainly low um, because that Guardian investigation relied on um, uh, the assistance of uh, records from Pakistan, India, Nepal, uh, Bangladesh, uh, and I think Sri Lanka, um, but it did not take into account uh, workers from Eastern Africa and Kenya, etc., or where a substantial number of workers come from the Philippines. So it's all, it's all. Uh, this is all a bit of sports washing, Jack. And uh, you know, you just wonder, you know, how much, how much more of this is is uh, UEFA or the UEFA nations going to take? I mean, I think the Danes are pretty upset. Uh, they've talked about leaving FIFA, um, and uh, and we'll see if that actually happens. It would be a bold move to do it unilaterally. Um, but if they did so with the support of, let's say, Germany and England, well, that would just about be the death knell for FIFA. One of the things we have to remember is that um, uh, the values that the West are sticking up with, sticking up for in the Qatari um, uh, decision, absent, let, let's leave it aside, I think no one's very happy about the, 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 the workers who were killed, but all the rest of it, the gay rights, etc., etc. Um, these are very popular views in the West, but not very popular in the rest of the world. Yeah, but Jack, I mean, I've listened to Infantino and a whole lot of others. Infantino, uh, Gianni Infantino is the president of FIFA at the moment after Seth Blatter was marched off in disgrace. Um, uh, they come up with all this false equivalence nonsense, you know. Europe is evil, Europe colonised the world and did horrible things and so forth. I mean, it, it's just, it's beyond the pale. You know, the, the, if you were going to hold these, if you were going to hold these games, the idea that you promote an inclusive sort of approach, I mean, there'll be people, there'll be footballers playing who are gay. I mean, yes. you know, not that they have to identify or stand up or do anything. Um, I, I would say there were some, you know, fairly timid, woke sort of protests. The the English and the Germans, I think, uh, were two nations at, at least that I know of, were going to put their captains in rainbow armbands. And they applied through FIFA to do that. And FIFA got back to them just before the tournament started. Now, they'd done, they, they made the application weeks before. And, uh, and FIFA had said, nah, no, because the Qatari government had said no. And so the, 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 the captains themselves faced a, a yellow card at, uh, at best um, if, they, if they did so. Now, if, you know, it, and so they pulled out of it. I mean, it's hardly stuff that Rosa Parks would be uh, 
would have accepted. Oh, what do you mean? I'll just, I, I won't, I won't sit in the front of the bus then. Well, uh, I, I think what Roy Keane said was, okay, wear the damn thing and cop a yellow card, and then, um, uh, and then we'll have to play a bit yeah, more carefully. You know? That's 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 a real protest, Jack. That's mm. that's. And you go, okay, oh, so you mean there are going to be consequences? All right, we'll take them, but we're going to go on with this. So mm. it was a bit weak. The Germans, the German football side, were photographed. Um, they've had a terrible tournament, by the way. Uh, but the German side was uh, was was photographed uh, hand, with with hands over mouths. Uh, uh, to oh yes, that, that, uh, been that was that was that was a tremendously good protest. That wasn't it, you know. I mean, well, so effective. <laughs> I mean, look, the, I guess horses for courses because the Iranian the Iranian team not singing their national anthem. I consider that, that, that to be a, a highly courageous than- act. You know, that took a fair uh, bit more guts than putting your hand over your face. Yeah, yeah. So look. Uh, the, the the simple fact of the matter is, how much longer well, before FIFA is is told, all right, you might run this tournament, but you don't run the game. Well, the and trouble if- with the trouble with that is that um, the, the Europeans can decide that, but. They won't get support from the Africans and the Asians. Oh, I think the Latins would. I, I, I think the Latins, where where you know the the two big bases of, of, of soccer around the world is is, is Europe and South America. Uh, and and I, I don't think the South Americans will will, will, will agree oh, yes, with the Europeans on that. I, I would think uh, the, the Brazilians just get on with it because they they win they win tournaments, uh, they win World Cups, but uh, there there'd be a strong view uh, within. Uh, the South South American sides, the Argentinians, uh, the Brazilians, uh, the Uruguayans. I think are the the three from uh, from um, uh, from South America who would, who would fall into place. I mean, what we're talking about, Jack, is the sort of uh, the Australian cricket board. Australian cricket board. They they were they got uh, uh, they were informed in no uncertain terms that you might think you run. Various uh, various competitions, but you don't run the game, and that's what Packer showed them, and that's what probably needs to happen to some degree at, at FIFA before real reform occurs. There, yeah. Um, who's going to win? All right. Well, uh, the most impressive team so far to me, France, uh, England. I think England are big chance, big big chance, and Brazil. Brazil look cherry ripe. Yeah, well, but the no, Germans no, Neymar. I, I don't know what the result of his scan was. He was off to get a scan, and he looked very upset because he, it looked like he was going to miss the tournament, the rest of the tournament. But well, the, no the Germans Neymar. drew with Spain overnight, so they're really um, in a spot of bother to, yeah, to yeah. get out of the the, the group stage, mm. and the Belgians likewise, like losing to Morocco. Yeah, so. Australia will play uh, Denmark. I think it's Wednesday morning yes. time. Uh, and uh, they need uh, a, well a win gets them straight through. Uh, a draw, and a draw may well do. Yeah, it, provided France beats uh, Tunisia, and yeah. they should. Um, yeah, the, the, the French look good. Uh, the uh, the Brazilians look cherry ripe, and and so does England. I'm thinking on in dollar terms, Jack. Just in terms of player salaries, England is number one. Now that tells you that the Premier League is the is the uh, the ultimate competition in terms of uh, in terms of dollars. Um, they but, sell yeah. a hell of a lot of shirts over here, I can tell you. Oh, I'm sure they will, Jack. Uh, look, it's been a long time, hasn't it? For you know, Foundation in Soccer '66 was their one and only World Cup in England. One uh, one at uh, Wembley, beating the Germans one 0 wasn't it, Jack? 
Oh, I know, Ray. There was at least two goals scored, yeah. Okay. Um, there's still arguments over at least one of those goals. By yeah, the way. yeah, I think there is, isn't there? <laughs> um, yeah, so um, uh, we'll, uh, we'll we'll see. And, and look, Australia, did you see Australia have a, a very good win against Tunisia? Yeah, it was a rubbish game, but it was a good to have a win. It was good to have a win. Defensively, whew, I saw a number of attempted clearances and so forth and just said, oh, come on, man, you know. There was, um, I just don't know how they'll go against, you know, um, uh, sides who might, like the Danes, will need to attack and score heavily mm-hmm. uh, with their with their defensive setup as it is at the moment. But they've got a big, uh, they've got a big squad there, and uh, who knows? Uh, we wish them well. I watched a bit of the Japanese against uh, Costa Rica last night. The Japanese looked terrific, but ended yeah, up losing too. the game. Yeah, I know that's that's happened a bit. I mean, the Germans against the Japanese. Japanese ultimately won, um, and they should have been three zip in front at half time. And they just didn't put them away. They, they, they kicked a penalty goal and, and Japan came over the top of them. All right, Jack. Uh, now, we're, we're just going to move on to other sport. There is, believe it or not, other sport being played around the world. We'll get to one of our readers, reader uh, letters shortly about ODIs. But the Adelaide Strikers won uh, the um, uh, women's big bash on the weekend uh, and uh, beating, the, uh, beating the Sydney Sixers. Um, who we have there, Deandra Dotton uh, got 52 and 2 for 30 uh, <coughs> for the Strikers. And uh, Ashley Gardner won the player of the series. She plays for the Strikers. Uh, very good, uh, very good cricketer. A- A- Alyssa Healy does, did only got one. Uh, she's the skipper of the Sydney Sixers. And, um, and, uh, and, and, and it seems like if she doesn't get runs, uh, uh, both uh, the Sixers and Australia don't go all that well. Uh, but Tarly McGrath was the, um, was the captain of the Adelaide Strike, Striker side. She got 24 and got a wicket as well. Very, very fine Australian cricketer. So that's the end of that tournament with uh, the Adelaide Strikers uh, getting the chocolates there. Uh, and Melbourne in the AFLW Premiership uh, defeated uh, Brisbane, the Brisbane Lions, two goals seven to two goals three. Be still my beating heart, Jack. Yeah, look, it, it's quite a watchable game, the AFLW, but it would be more watchable if they shrunk the size and of the grounds a bit. Just shrink the size of the ground. And that's not being patronising. That just means that, you know, that... that most women in that particular competition can kick the ball about 35, 40 metres. Yeah, and, yeah. And, 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 and if they, you know, the, if you reduce the side, side of that ground, it becomes that, you know, instead of a 45-metre pass, it's a 30 or 25-metre pass. It, it hits a chest, the ball keeps moving. Uh, on a bigger ground, it, it tends to encourage a lot of scrambling, sort of ruck, ruck and maul type, uh, type football. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's patronising either, uh, Jack. I just think you just need to to make the game work a little bit better. You need to reward good play, and because the ground's too big for the distance they can kick, the good play doesn't get rewarded often enough. Yeah, and absolutely agree. And, and so just reduce the size of the ground. It's, it, it's not, you know, I mean, I don't think that would be a backward step. I don't know how the players feel about that, but that's that's to me, what would make the game far more watchable. And on uh, also happening on Wednesday, Jack, Test Cricket is back. Woohoo! We do love the Test Cricket. Australia will play the Windies. And I think it's two Tests, uh, just the two. 
Um, and there's lots to like about the Windies, Jack. They had a, a game against uh, uh, the Prime Minister's Eleven in uh, in Canberra. Um, they've got some they've got some very handy quicks, including a, a young fellow who's just 21 by the name of Jaden Seals, who does bowl fast and is likely to be the future of the West Indian attack. Uh, and uh, they've got a reasonably decent. You know, um, uh, opening batting lineup. Their, their top order is actually reasonably strong with guys who really are hard to get out. And that's Craig Bate, Braithwaite, who's been around for a while. And of course, the son of a gun who's, who got, who got a few uh, in Canberra, uh, Tagnarine Chanderpool, son of Shivnarine, who uh, was a very, ma- very hard man to get out and a big accumulator of runs with a, not a bizarre technique. He had a good technique. It was just he had a bizarre stance. He did. Uh, Warty had to turn one um, uh, square oh, to get him out yeah. of SCG one day, I remember. Yeah. Uh, get uh, him out, yeah. He, he did have that weird sort of very front-on uh, very front on stance and uh, and then when the ball was bowled, he turned around into a sort of normal, almost mm. traditional cricket stance. His son, Tagnarine, and I hope I pronounced pronounce that properly. I did watch him bat a bit too, and he's got something of the old man's sort of eccentricities as well. The 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 his uh, his his front foot goes no, he's sort of yes, this is his front foot. He's a left hander like his old man. He's uh, so it's his it's his right leg goes a long way, sort of almost to the off, and then it comes back again. Um, so he's developed a bit of the old man's eccentricities in the nets uh, at home. Um, so we look forward to a bit of test cricket being played. Uh, It'd be good to see the West Indies being um, back at being really competitive in international cricket again. The, uh, it, it definitely is. I mean, still, it's not as if the, the development of the game is going backwards there. It's just that structurally, the West Indies is a, you know, uh, a, 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 a you know, it's not a nation. It's a series of islands, and uh, and and the islands are always blueing about one another. And so, de- the development of young players is, is a bit harder to do. Um, the West Indies missed out on the um, on the um, uh, the first sort of first round of the of the T20 World Cup, um, which is staggering in itself because they've got some of the best T20 batsmen in the world, but a lot of them just didn't arrive. Um, so it's you know there's just a lot of politics there, and and what I think they need is four thumping fast bowlers, and uh, and some good good bats up the top. They had some great ones in the, in the great old days, Viv and Gordon Greenwich and uh, and um, uh, Richie Rich and, and those guys. But um, they they need to get back to having four quick bowlers who are at you all the time, and hopefully that will happen. Yeah, indeed. Um, and now, and look, just to uh, just to our reader, uh, our listener letter, I should say, and uh, and this is what Warren sent me this week, Jack. He said the latest two Jacks was a cracker. He's referring to last week's show. Two possible questions for discussion in the future: Does the Federal Coalition fanboy audience with Jordan Peterson show they haven't learnt too much from their election defeat? And we'll get to the second point in a minute, which is a sporting point. Uh, and I thought that was a really good question. Now, on the night the, um, um, Dan Andrews was re-elected for a third term, Jordan Peterson attended the tennis court, uh, the, uh, the, the the tennis centre uh, in Melbourne, and to a crowd of a looked to me looked to me packed, which is about fifteen thousand people. 
um, uh, he, he, he spoke there and presumably uh, was, uh, people were paying 100 bucks a ticket minimum. Um, well, he certainly draws a crowd wherever he goes. Yeah, oh, look, I saw him interviewed one day and he was saying that he gets about half a million a month in the Patreon, which is, uh, which is pretty good stuff. What my question was, Jack, to you is that uh, why is the right sort of almost cult-like about people coming up, coming from overseas. And you remember the noise around Milo Yiannopoulos and all this sort of stuff. And I'm not talking about the Liberal Party necessarily. I'm talking about the right. And it's almost as if they're not quite sure what they believe in. And so they need someone like Jordan Peterson or indeed Milo Yiannopoulos to come along and tell them. Yeah, I'm... I've never been one to pay money to go to these kind of things. So, I mean, whether back in the days when the left used to do it as well, it's it, it is something. I, I honestly think it's a it's a right wing thing now, and and for me, it's, it is now. Yeah, it it, it, it it for me, it's a it's a sign that uh, that look, we 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 sort of sit in our echo chambers of Twitter and and uh, and Telegram and Facebook and all that sort of stuff. But we don't quite know what we believe. We've got no sort of underpinning uh, of of our of our beliefs. So we we sort of need people like Jordan Peterson to come along and and uh, and tell us what to think, basically. Yeah, I've never seen the attraction of that myself. No, neither have I. I, I think it tells you that there's a bit of a paucity of, of, of philosophy and ideology behind behind what we might call the conservative right. Um, uh, it must be said, uh, while Peterson did do the tennis uh, centre on Saturday night, prior to that, it was uh, Senator, the LNP Senator Matty Canavan, who introduced Jordan Peterson to uh, a group of Liberals, including Scott Morrison. I yeah. think Scott would just be interested and say, How much do you really get that much to speak? Really? I can't get that much to, to, to speak publicly. In fact, no one wants me to speak publicly. Yeah. Um, All right. The uh, other the other element of um, of uh, Lawrence's question here was uh, re our discussion of one day cricket, the internationals uh, attendance and popularity. Is Foxtel exclusive content where sports go to die? Oh, that's a bit rude. NRL and AFL maintain free to wear presence, but sports like netball, rugby, basketball, motor racing have all suffered when hid- hidden behind the paywall. Certainly, rugby union did, and there's no doubt about that. That happened to Test cricket in the in the United Kingdom as well. Yeah, it did. As well. Yeah, it's not a good development for the game. I, I do know that Cricket Australia is uh, is uh, looking at taking their ODIs um, uh, into free to air, um, and um, and that's because you know that particular format of the game is. I think it's you know, we talked about it last week. Dying for a number of reasons, mainly pointless fixtures. And uh, well, you're revving the revving the engine up now, mate. Uh, yeah, they are. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, yeah, maybe taking it behind. You know, I mean, so so Australian T20s as it stands, and Australian ODIs whenever Australia plays, including in Australia, which is staggering to me. Those games can only be seen if you've got a KO subscription or a Foxtel subscription. I don't think that's good for the game. No, um, if you if you watch Test cricket, still draws a crowd in the United Kingdom, but if you have a look at it, and I, I, I tend to watch it here. It comes on the first sessions on at sort of cocktail hour, and I normally watch it with a few English pals. Um, and you look around the crowd, and everyone looks to be over forty five or fifty, 
Um, well, that's what no young saying. people there at all. So, um, uh, part they got a t- they got a ticket price problem. They make the tickets so expensive you can't take your kids. And we're just doing a little straw poll on our group there, standing around the bar watching this. Um, but everybody who's a Test cricket fan started out as a Test cricket fan because their father or their mother took them to the game, and that's just not happening. Yeah, what they're saying, I mean, they'll be, the Ashes will be played in, in the UK next year, but they won't be playing any tests in August, Jack. They're, they're, they're basically just going to compact the five-test series. That's free up the months. time for the 100. And that's to free up the time for the 100. Now, the argument goes, Jack, that they'll that that a 10-year-old or 11-year-old kid will, will watch the 100, but they won't watch test cricket. And that's so because they don't. That's because they don't get taken to Test cricket because the ticket prices are too expensive. Yeah, that's that. Look, that's part of the part of the issue. But but the the argument goes from from English cricket is that get them get young kids involved in the in the in the in the hundred they call it their T Twenty competition, domestic T Twenty competition, and from there the interest in the game will grow. We'll yeah, see. Yeah, well, I hope it works. Yeah, I hope it works. Because if it doesn't, it'll be extremely bad. Well, All thank right, you, Lawrence. Thank you, Lawrence. I reckon you're spot on anyway. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. I think he's uh, he, look. Uh, he's uh, he thought uh, the last show was a was a cracker. I look forward to hearing what he uh, thinks of our latest. And we do apologise to our to our other to one of our other listeners who we promised to do the political sledge on, and we will. It just needs a bit of work. We need to do a bit of research there, deep, deep research. And just to take us out, Jack. Uh, Before we go... Don't tell me you're... Go on, go on. I've got something new for you. Well, I was was going to make a comment about Twitter, uh, but the only comment I'd make about that is that um, he sacked a lot of people and the the website, Twitter, seems to work the way it always did. So you wonder what they were all doing there. Anyway, leaving that aside, there's there's a new book out. I think it's called Bond, the Beatles and the British Psych. Um, Mm -hmm. This chap called John Higgs... His theory is that um, uh, Paul McCartney's band, having such a success with Live and Let Die, killed off any chance of the the, the James Bond film, um, uh, killed off any chance of the Beatles coming back to life. But he also tells a great little story. In 1978, George Harrison married Olivia Arias, and in the same year they had a son, Danny, D-H-A-N-I. Danny only discovered his father's past when he was at school. I came home one day from school after being chased by kids singing Yellow Submarine and I didn't understand why. Um, uh, It just seemed surreal. Why are they singing that song to me? I came home and freaked out to my dad. Why didn't you tell me you were in the Beatles? And he said, (laughs) oh, sorry. Probably should have told you that. (laughs) (laughs) Danny actually did play. He's actually quite an accomplished musician himself now. Uh, He did play at a... um, uh, at a concert, uh, basically, uh, which was a tribute to George Harrison. And um, <clears throat> that's where we see the one and only Prince arrive on stage playing guitar and uh, and showing everyone what a wonderful musician he was. Um, uh, they, they talked about how they were going to have to do this because Prince was coming. Prince just hung off just at side stage, just playing just gently having a little bit of a strum, and then he, uh, while the while they had a session music playing, uh, and they were playing uh, uh, while my guitar gently weeps, and uh, the session music was getting very very into it uh, with his little lead breaks and so forth, 
and they wondered just exactly what they were going to tell him because uh, Prince was coming on stage to plan. <laughs> he just stole the show. I recommend you have a look at it, listeners, uh, on YouTube. He, you know, he just shows what a wonderful musician, multi-talented musician he was. And um, and uh, the young bloke, oh, the, the the session muso just was basically left just languishing with a mouth open, while uh, Prince stole the show and 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 finished his finished his lead break, threw the guitar into the crowd and just walked off. Well, we've both got kids who I'm, I'm pretty sure we don't tell them everything about what we've done in the past, but I reckon we would have mentioned that yeah. in the Beatles. Oh, yeah, well, so I was in the Beatles. Yeah, well said, mate. Okay, look, we're going to wrap up because that building noise is not far away again. We know it's yeah. not far away. So, uh, and there's nothing we can do about it but stop and wait, but we don't want to get on with that. We thank you, listeners, for your time today. I hope you've enjoyed our coverage. Please drop us a line if you've got some questions, comments, criticisms, etc. to the... Well, you can get me on Twitter. Still, I'm still there, despite Elon Musk's uh, hate speech. Um, but you can get me on there on DMs at Jack the Insider, or you can drop us a, an email on the conditional release program at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Um, good on you, Jack. Thank you very much for your time today. Cheers, mate. All the best. Thanks, listeners.